many of you have heard Dr. Riddle speak before. He's uh, teaching our class Wednesday night on Greek. Uh, a phenomenal family. He and Miss Christy both have come to the family, and we're so, our, our church family. We're so thankful that they're here. They've been a tremendous blessing. Dr. Riddle is the provost at at uh, Ozarka, which is the the number two guy over there, and he's over at the campuses and does a phenomenal job. And they have tremendously blessed our church body. I've been working with him on his Greek. He's coming along. And uh, <laughs> but no, we we're honored that you're a part of our family, and he's got a great word today. Come, Dr. Riddle. Let's welcome him as he comes this morning. Well, good morning. It's great to see you all here today. It's a beautiful Sunday, not too far away from the Christmas time. And it's during this time of year that we oftentimes see uh, decorations and we see nativity scenes. We see many things that bring us into a, a season where we think, we're thinking about the Messiah. We're thinking about the birth of Jesus Christ. And as Pastor shared a little earlier... One of the dynamics that happened with the birth of Jesus Christ is there were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night when the angels of the Lord appeared. And they realized that something incredible, something the world has never seen before, had just, was, was about to occur. That was the birth of the Son of God, the birth of the Messiah, fully God, fully man. Impossible to understand, yet we try to describe it in the person of Jesus Christ. Had arrived. And like much of the world was excited, there was also other aspects of the world that were not quite so excited. We think of Herod, and instead of thinking about singing praises to God, he was breathing out murderous threats about how he's going to try to find this king of kings and make sure that that child would never make of age. And so we see a thread throughout the life of Jesus. Those who would seek him and those who would not. Those who would pursue him as the Messiah, as the deliverer of the world, and those who would seek to see his kingdom destroyed. And it's today that we're going to explore that dynamic as it continued on throughout the entirety of the life of Christ up to even his crucifixion. Where there be women at the cross crying while there were men taking his clothes and, and raffling them off. Through casting of lots, very different ends to the same man's life. And so today we're going to look at a couple of miracles that Jesus did. Two comparative miracles. One, very sweet, very beautiful. One, much more sour. And we're going to be looking at two stories. The first one we're going to look at is in the Gospel according to Luke. The second one will be in the Gospel according to John. Before we jump into the Word of God, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, again, thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together. Thank you for the freedom that we have in gathering together to celebrate you, to draw close to you, to understand what it is to be a child of God. We ask you, Lord, now to quicken our minds, our spirits, our spiritual ears, that we'll be locked in, Lord, and attuned to what you have to say to us. May the word of God, which stands forever, Speak to each and every one of us. Allow it to stir us, Lord, and allow it to motivate us and change us that we can be better used in the almighty hands of God. Now take this tongue and this fragile vessel of clay, and may, Lord Jesus, your spirit work through this vessel to touch the ears of those who are called your own. 
Speak to us, and may we receive and give glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin out of the gospel according to Luke. I'm going to read this particular story. We're going to pick up a few lessons, and then we're going to move into the passage in John. Let's begin here in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Give you a little backdrop. Jesus is on the move. This is going to be the first event in which the three major regions in Israel arrive. People from all these different regions are present for what's going to be a tremendous miracle. One day as he, Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him, that is Jesus, to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could, find a, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. As we look at this passage, there's a, very, there's a number of important, very important observations. First off, this particular passage, as Luke describes this account, portrays Jesus as indeed the Messiah. Fully God, yet fully man. We see Jesus, he's present in this house. There's crowds around. Very large crowd. This is still early on in his earthly ministry. So we see that the crowds haven't become really disenchanted to the Messiah at this point. And the Pharisees and the teachers knew there was a number of commotions. So they all arrived from all the different parts of Israel. This was the first gathering we see instructed within the gospel narratives. Where all were present from all the different regions to hear him speak and to share. And as he's there, we see... We see that the Spirit of God, the Scripture says, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Jesus, being fully God, could heal at the drop of a hat. There were no prerequisites. He's God. But here we see Jesus as the Messiah, fully God, fully man. And as the Spirit of God is present for Jesus to heal, we knew at that moment those who are present were noticing something miraculous was about to occur. We see that in our services. There are different services you can feel the Spirit of God working. Sometimes it's for healings. Sometimes it's for courage. Sometimes it's for us to be at peace. Other times it's for us to be, to be locked into a God speaking to us so that we can do greater works for the kingdom of God. But the Spirit of God was at work here for a healing, and healing indeed would occur. In addition to the presence of God being there, we see something very interesting. We see a man who is lame, a a man who cannot walk. 
And somehow, some way, this man was able to gather up the courage, the faith, and the tenacity of at least four other men who would carry that man to see Jesus. Now, this is rather unusual. You must keep in mind. In this time, in Jesus' time, when a man was sick, as this man was, a paralytic, it was very much viewed as an act of a statement of God saying, either you have sinned or your family has sinned, but regardless, you're guilty. And so many times people steered away from the paralytics. That's why oftentimes they were left by themselves. But this man, whether it was his faith, whether it was his his way that he interacted with people, we don't know. But we do know one thing. This man was able to stir up the faith of at least four other men and others as we see in in Mark's account. If you turn to Mark chapter 2, you'll see the parallel account. Four men carry this paralytic along with others and they arrive where Jesus is. He wants to see Jesus. But there's a crowd. There's a whole bunch of folks. And you know, it's like you arrive at Walmart and you look, wow, there's not a parking spot available. We'll come back a little later. That man could have done that. Wow, it's really full. Where's Jesus' next gig? Where's he going to be at next? I'll just hang tight. That's not what he did. Instead, he pressed on and said, I need to see Jesus. So he somehow convinces these four men, taking them on his mat, to go up on top of the roof. And we see in Mark's gospel that they had to literally tear it apart. So evidently it was pretty much closed. And so they tear it apart. They drop him in right there in front of Jesus. And it's interesting to see what Jesus has to say. When, or what Luke has to say is in Jesus' response. When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus observed their faith in action, he was moved. The Spirit of God was moved to act. And what did Jesus do? The NIV says friend. In the Greek, it says son. Son, your sins are forgiven. This man had pressed so hard to see the Messiah. And the first thing that Jesus recognized is he recognized the kinship. Son, your sins are forgiven. In front of all the religious leaders, those who might say, well, this man's obviously guilty. He's, He's a criminal. He's a sinner. Look at him. He can't even walk. And what did Jesus declare? He gave him deliverance. He gave him the ultimate deliverance. He forgave his sins. As a matter of fact, if you go a little, fur- little further back in, in Luke's gospel, you'll see where Jesus had cast out demons and they were declaring him as the son of God. And Jesus said to them, keep quiet, keep quiet. In Luke's gospel narrative, this is the first time in which Jesus would allow his messiahship, his deity to become clearly evident by saying, your sins are forgiven because only God can forgive sins. It's amazing. Here was the son. Here was the man pressing in. Here was the man who convinced four others to carry him. Here was the man who convinced others to break through the roof. And Jesus would forgive his sins because Jesus knew that was the most important healing that would take place that day. And then we see that Jesus wasn't done yet. He would then say to the man, pick up your mat and walk and go where? Home. Go home. It's an amazing account. When Jesus would heal others, 
oftentimes there was a healing that took place, but there was never a declaration of where to go. In this case, it was, son, go home. Why? He had a home. It oftentimes gives us that taste of what it was like when it was Enoch who was carried away to his home, or Elijah when he was swept away in the chariot and taken home, or Moses whom God would bury and he would take home. This man was healed. The son was healed, and he was sent home. He was sent to that place of comfort. He was sent to that place because why? He had been made whole. Made whole. All of the atrocities, all of the guilt and shame that would have potentially been reveled against him either by God because of sin or by society because of evidently he was clearly a sinner because of his physical ailment. Jesus had delivered him and made him whole. And then what happens? Celebration breaks out. Indeed, something great has happened today. The amazement of the crowd. We see the sweet side of when an individual whom Jesus touched showed up, pursued God at all costs, regardless of the obstacles. They didn't say, well, you know, when the pastor gives you an opportunity to serve, when the, when the church gives you an opportunity to press in, you're going to hear the pastor talking about in the upcoming weeks, the, the pushing in for fasting, pressing in. When you have those opportunities to press in, when we have those opportunities to press in, press in we must, because that's when the hand of God, as the Spirit of God is moving, that's when you can expect to experience the miraculous. Now let's look at the second story. The one out of the Gospel according to John. Now giving you a little backdrop. When John writes his Gospel narrative, we see in chapter 20, John tells us that each and every one of the miracles is to show forth the deity of Jesus Christ. That is, that he is God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we believe were written earlier than the Gospel according to John, it seems like it was much later in time, and very, rather different in its goals, and rather different in its design. They do a very good job of showing Jesus in his humanity. That is, the human side, which we saw there in Luke. The Spirit of God was present to do the miraculous, and then Jesus acts upon that. But John focuses on the deity of Jesus Christ being God. So let's look here in John. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews, likely believed to be the Passover, one of the three to four Passovers that Jesus would celebrate. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in that condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else gets, goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day in which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath and the law law forbids you to carry your mat. And he replied, "The, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, Who is this fellow who who told you to pick it up and walk? 
The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away and into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Two stories of two men who are paralytics. Two very different outcomes. Two very different backdrops. Here Jesus is. He's on his way, likely for the Passover feast in Jerusalem. And he passes through the temple. Now to give you a little background on the temple. The temple had different sections in it. It had the inner court. It had the outer court. It had places where the different groups in society could go and worship. The Gentiles were always in the much more outer court. But even within the temple itself, there was an area in which they had the sheep. Oftentimes, Jesus refers to us people as sheep. And it's in that area that you would find those who were sick, those who were lame. They would go there to buy the sheep, potentially to sacrifice them, or in which there was simply a trading going on, a buy and sell, like we would see in in those times. And so Jesus is going through and he sees this man who had been an invalid for 38 years, We know very clearly from the scripture that at one point this man had been made whole because Jesus says to him at the end, see, you are well again. So we know he had at one point been healthy, but now he was in a paralysis state. He is lying there. The Messiah shows up. Now, the illustration that we get here is because he enters in and this man is in the area of the sheep gate, what we get an illustration of in the book of John is that Jesus here is described as that good shepherd. And what does a good shepherd do? He leaves the 99 to go what? Find the one. So now he's trying to find the one who had wandered off. Because at one point he had been well, but now he is not. So Jesus goes and he finds that one. And he says to him, do you want to get well? Now what would the natural response be? What would you think? Yes, I want to get well. Is that what the man said? No. He looked at all the other problems. He didn't say, yes, I'd like to get well. He says, look, when I get a, a," he says, look, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Wants to blame other people. Look, I don't care that you're asking me if I want to get well. I'm just telling you, I don't ever make it down there. See, his mind was, his mind was focused on all the wrong areas. The Messiah was coming by that day. And he wasn't ready. The Lord was passing by. And his mind was on all the wrong things. So here's the man's state of mind. Unlike the first man who was able to have four people carry him up. Carry him literally up to someone's house. Break into the house. That is cause physical damage. Drop the man down. I mean this just was way out there. You have to understand how crazy this must have seemed. I mean the crowd must have been going what in the world is going on someone needs to stop them someone needs to call the police these people are vandalizing this man's house yet they drop that man in and jesus seeing their faith was moved to heal here the man unlike the first had no faith all he saw was the problem all he saw was every time the water was stirred and the angel of the Lord would pass by we know this from other passages he tried to get in and he, 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 was, he was never the first. So there he is, 38 years later, by himself. No friends, bittered, hardened, 
But John shows the deity of Jesus Christ. Even though this man lacked faith, what did Jesus do? He told him the same thing he told the first man, but with one distinct difference. Look again. Then Jesus said to him, these are commands, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, he didn't tell him to go home. Y'all pick that up? He didn't tell him to go home. He also didn't call him son. He said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at the command of the Messiah, the command because of the deity of Jesus Christ, the man was at once cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. There's a number of things we can learn as we pause here. First, we pick up that God reveals himself to everyone, even though those who are not interested. Notice here, the man wasn't looking for Jesus. The man didn't even recognize Jesus when he healed him. And even so, when the man departs, Jesus has to go back and find him what? For a second time. Second time. The man never goes and looks for him. He never seeks him out. Never seeks out the one which gave him freedom, which gave him a healing. Never sought him out. Not once. But that's the beauty of God. That's the beauty of the shepherd, the good shepherd. Even the one that wanders off, God will pursue. The second piece that we see here, unlike the first man, he didn't have a crowd. And I think there's a profound truth that we need, to, we need to at least examine here for a few moments. There is so much power when we gather with those of like faith. Each and every one of you have done that today. You're here. You're gathering with those of like faith. That's a very, very important aspect in our own faith. It's when we get pulled aside that terrible things happen. It's when we get pulled aside that our thoughts turn dark. Our spirits get hardened. Let's look at two men just for a moment. Think about Peter. Think about Peter. He was the man that was in the inner circle with Jesus. He saw the miraculous. He walked on water. Amazing. Walked on water. And yet, the moment Jesus, the moment Peter gets pulled away from Jesus and he's sitting in the outer court while Jesus is on trial for his earthly life, what does Peter do? Denies him three times. Three times. He got pulled away, and the denial began. Let's look at the most righteous man ever born to man or woman. That's called, his name was John the Baptist. A cousin of Jesus, probably about six months older. His father was likely a Pharisee and likely the high priest. Here was John, a man who lived his life righteously and right. And at the end of his life, when he was taken in captivity, just before he was beheaded, he still had doubts about the Messiah. The one in which he had pointed his own disciples to saying, Behold the Lamb of God, who is here to take away the sins of the world. When he was pulled away from the group, he began to question. His, his faith was weakened. Just think about that. Peter, John the Baptist, tremendous pillars in the church. 
And yet, when they were pulled away from those of like faith, they got shaky. How much more for us? Anytime we want to start a new habit, anytime we want to get ourselves in the right kind of place, the pastor spoke about the upcoming turn of the year being Wednesday night services. We know on the front end, it takes a good seven weeks of practicing that habit consistently to indeed make it a good, healthy habit. Because why? Healthy habits, hard to form, easy to break. Bad habits, unhealthy habits, easy to form, hard to break. That's how they work. And so it is so important for each and one of us as believers to make sure that we keep ourselves connected with the body of Christ. So important. Don't ever let Satan try to pull you away from the body of Christ. It's so damaging. It's so dangerous. So dangerous. Here was a man who got himself ostracized. He got himself pulled away. Unlike the first man who had a crowd working with him and built his faith. And he built their faith. And Jesus touched him and healed him. Because why? He saw his faith. This man had no faith. So what happened? When Jesus healed him, God healed him for his own eternal purposes. But unlike the first man who gave praise to God as well as the crowd... A very different outcome happened here. This man, he wandered off. He wandered off and he went back to a life of sin. Because even though God heals us, unless he makes us whole, the spirit person, all we have left is a miracle, a freedom, a license to do what we want. That's not how God operates. It's not how God operates. Jesus went after this lone sheep, and he healed him. He gave him the opportunity to make things right. But what he did is he went back to a life of sin. We'll explore that more in just a few moments. But withdrawing has a way of hurting our faith. And so let's look what happened here. Jesus says to the man, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Then the man gets questioned by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the, by, at least by the religious, religious, religious leaders of the day. And they say to him, why are you carrying that mat, buddy? Why are you walking? And what does he say? He doesn't say, hey, I just was healed. I was 38 years laying in that terrible place. And this man came and touched me, and I have been delivered. That's not what he said. What did he say? This guy told me to pick this mat up and walk, and so I'm doing it. It's his fault. It's not my fault that I'm working on the Sabbath. This guy somehow healed me. He told me, you go and walk. And so I'm walking and I'm carrying this mat. Very different type of outcome here. Again, projecting blame to someone else. And then we see that later on, What does it say in verse 14? Jesus found him at the temple. Second time, I mentioned that earlier. This is important to pick up. Second time Jesus finds him. Second time. He never looks for Jesus. And he says to him, see, you are well again. The literal Greek rendering here is stop continuing to sin or something worse may happen to you. God had broken into this man's world. A man that wasn't even seeking to be healed. At least not really by the hand of God. He was just bitter because he couldn't get to the place 
where he would see the water stirred and everybody else was the problem, God would stir that water. The angel of the Lord would, and he couldn't get there. And so he began to focus on all the ways in which he was victimized. In which he was victimized. And when Jesus finds him the second time, the first time he comes and finds him, he offers him healing. The second time, he offers him godly counsel. Stop sinning. Stop continuing to sin. What was the man doing? We, we understand that by the next verse. In other words, therefore, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. He went to the temple. In today's vernacular, he went to the church. He went to the church and was taking credit for the healing that he had received. Not giving credit to God. Not giving credit to God at all. Taking it for himself. We don't know what story he shared. John, doesn't dis- John does not disclose because that's not the point. The point is he did not give glory to God. The bitterness that was still within him was still holding up residency. It was still victimizing him. He had been physically delivered. He had been made well again. But inside, inside, he was not whole. Unlike the first man who Jesus would call son and he would send home. This man, his heart wasn't right from the beginning. And even when the miracle occurred, his right heart was still not right. That's one of the most important truths that we can understand when we think about the people who say, show us a miracle and we'll believe. This man was shown a miracle. He didn't believe. He didn't believe. Because it's not the miraculous that saves. It's the faith. Jesus will always come knocking. He found this man twice because he loved him so much. He healed him, and then he gave him godly counsel. Stop sinning, because the curse can return. When we get out from beneath the covering, we recognize it's a different world. We live in a fallen world. But God is a saving God. And he saves us sometimes and heals us, even when we're not looking for him. But the most important piece of, most important piece of the healing was the very first healing we see happen with the first man. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Because that was indeed the priority. That was the priority. This man's healed. There's no celebration. There's no giving of thanks. There's no appreciation to God. He continued to allow his victimization to keep him captive. This is why we see passages in Scripture saying, the dog will always return to his vomit. Don't throw pearls to the swine. It helps us understand what those mean. God can heal at his own discretion. But the most important healing that happened in the first account was the healing of that man's sins. And you all understand that. I know that. But it's important to understand that God may heal people. And sometimes we get into this thinking that, oh, God moved in this situation, so therefore he must be pleased with my life. 
There are times that God blesses us, and we don't deserve it. Matter of fact, I would argue that anytime God blesses us, we don't deserve it. We just don't. We're, we're fickle. We're sinful. We're prideful. We're all over the place. But God in his mercy loves us. The first man sought Jesus, and the miracle he tasted was so sweet. And it not just transformed his life, it transformed the lives of those around him. The second man had bitterness inside. And even when he received the miracle, it didn't transform him in the inside. But Jesus wanted so desperately to see him changed on the inside. He held on to the victimization, and it victimized him again and again. Now, I don't know about you all. Most of us, I can speak for myself, myself and others that I've come in contact with throughout my life, Many of, many of us have been victimized in different ways. Sometimes we're victimized as children. Sometimes we're victimized in our careers. Sometimes we're victimized by our families. We're victimized. And we can hold on to that victimization. And God brings healing. But unless we've been made whole the victimization will still remain and it will eat away at us and continue to make us less and less and less effective. We see in the second man's life, John shares it for a reason. He shares it because it shows the magnificent power of Jesus Christ. But he shows humanity. Humanity and that the miracle itself won't save the real miracle is the forgiveness of sins. And that's what you and I desperately need. We need a Savior. We don't need a miracle worker. We need a Savior. And that's what Jesus came to do. And that's what Jesus is as the Messiah. And so this morning, as you think through your own life, as you think through the situations you've encountered throughout your walk, whether as a, a mature believer a young believer, or maybe a person right now looking to say, I'm not right with God at all, and I need to make it right. Well, today is your chance. You see, the Spirit of God blows. He blows through areas, and He's present to do the miraculous. And when He's present, we act. When He's moving, we must act. And sometimes it's not convenient. And sometimes it might look a little foolish. I assure you, the paralytic man, the first one, appeared as a fool. He appeared as somebody rash and not in his right mind. But he's the one who went home that day. He went home. He went home. That's powerful. He went home. He pushed in. And his faith blessed many that day. That's the kind of person I would like to be. The kind of person when God starts to move, I'm not worried about, oh, what are they going to think of me if I ever go to the altar? What are they going to think of me if I raise my hands to God? That's an act of surrender. What am I surrendering from? We all have something to surrender from. Matter of fact, most of us have many, many, many things to surrender It's that faith 
that changes things. Not just for you, not just for me, for all of us. I would venture to say that there might have been, we don't know by Luke's account, there may have been a small revival that day. I don't know. But that man's faith touched many, many lives because he wasn't worried. He wanted to experience and see the face of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you again for these men and women. Thank you for the privilege that each and every one of us have to read the word of God, to hear the word of God, and allow it to stir us up. Stir us, Lord, in maybe different ways, new ways, ways that bring glory and honor to your holy name. This morning, Lord, there are men and women who are here today, young people, who have been victimized. They've been victimized in situations outside of their control. But those victimizing events have a way of leaving marks. And sometimes those marks are deep and they're painful. And those marks can cause us to be victims for the rest of our lives. And we're not meant to be that way, Lord. We're meant to be more than overcomers through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. This morning, Lord, you're, heal, you're here to heal those who feel and have felt and have experienced victimization. You're here today for that healing. You're here today to breathe refreshment and strength encouragement and forgiveness into lives. I'm going to ask if those who help at the altars would come forward at this time. He'll come forward. What I'm going to ask you to do now is I'm going to ask you to take the step of faith like the first man who was the paralytic. He didn't worry about the crowds. He didn't worry about what other people thought. What he said is, I need to I need to experience Jesus today. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher in this church, if you're a board member of this church, or you're even in some other form of leadership in this church. It doesn't matter. You're a human being. I'm a human being. We're all human beings who are needy and desperate and hurt. We suffer. And we bury those victimization issues away, only to find them crop up from time to time and take away the joy that God places into our lives. It doesn't need to be that way. We receive the joy when we press in the hardest. And today I'm going to ask you to be courageous and step out from where you are, find one of these altar workers, and take time, take time to press in. If you need to bring a friend with you and they need to walk alongside you like they walk alongside a paralytic, that is fine. But you press in today because the Spirit of God is here to heal and strengthen those who have felt victimized from their past. Victimized, and it doesn't matter. Sometimes many, many of us have been victimized multiple times. God is here to heal. God is here to heal. As I pray, come forward. Father, thank you for the men and women, Lord, as now they bring up, Lord, the courage to step out. That courage, Lord, which oftentimes is hard to muster. It's hard to find, but it's here today. 
Why? Because the Spirit of God is here today to heal, to restore, to mend. Because He loves His people. He's here saying, son, daughter, I'm here to heal you today. I'm here to liberate you today. I'm here to restore you today. But we have to have that courage, God. Help us in our courage. Help us when we lack faith. Help us, Lord. We're saying, oh, this can't be for me. It's not for me. I've dealt with that. I think it's all right, yet I keep seeing it come up. Around the holidays, you know, I just don't even want to see that person. I don't want to get a phone call from them. I don't want to get an email from them because I don't even want to respond back to them because they've hurt me so bad. I can't let it go. God is here to heal you today. God is here to heal you today. When the Spirit passes, it's up to you and it's up to me to respond to it. Respond to it. Lord, as men and women make their way forward today, and as they continue, Lord, to make their way out of their seats saying, yes, Lord, that's me today, and I'm going to run to you. I'm going to seek your face. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to worry about what my spouse thinks or what my kids think. I'm not going to worry about what my parents think. I'm not going to worry about my significant other things. I am going to seek your face because I want to be healed today. Lord, strengthen. Strengthen these men and women. Bring healing to their lives today. Bring goodness to their lives today. Breathe life to their lives today. We're not meant to live as captives. We're not meant to live as victims again and again. We're meant to live as free people. We're meant to live as victors. We're meant to live as people who walk carrying our mat saying, God has given me victory over this mat and I'm going home where people love me and where I am loved and where I belong because God has restored me today. He has made me whole. Strengthen these men and women. Bless them and keep them. Bless them and keep them. Bless them and keep them. I'm going to say a closing prayer for those who need to part. But I'm going to definitely encourage those. Continue to make your way down. Maybe you've been hesitating. God's been speaking to you. Make your way to the front. Find someone to partner with you. Pray with you. When Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. Lord, for those, Lord, who are going to be departing for their homes in just a few moments, bless them and keep them. Help them, Jesus, to take away the truths that are in the word of God today that it can strengthen their hearts, strengthen their souls, and push them forward in their life to bring glory and honor to your holy name. Keep them, Lord, in your palm and help them, Lord, to go forward throughout, Lord Jesus, not just today, but this week, staying on the promises of God that give them victory, that give them courage, that give them tenacity. And may they go forward and make a difference in the lives of others as the Spirit of God lives through them, changing them to change the world. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please go quietly. For those at the altar, we want to have respect for them. If you want to make your way down, please come down. 
The altars are going to remain open for you as you seek the face of God. God bless you and enjoy your week.